it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. We're going to be in Philippians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Um, yeah, so let's begin. I will try to be, I know you guys are note takers, so I will try to at least slow down when I say the verses so you can jot them down. Um, but no, no promises there. So... <clears throat> So here we go. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Um, their God is their belly and their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables us, enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the equation today. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In order for that to be true, you must believe in the surpassing value of Jesus. You must believe in the finished work of Jesus, Jesus in his death, has given us life. Jesus in his death has conquered sin and death. Jesus in his resurrection has taken away the power of sin and death. Therefore, sin no longer controls us. Jesus in his obedience to the Father has been given the name that is above every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in earth and in heaven. Jesus is greater. Greater is he that is in me and us that he that is in the world, Jesus now lives in me by the power of his spirit. And therefore, we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within us. You got to believe that he isn't finished with you yet. That he who began a good work in you will complete what he started. You got to believe that he, the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross is enough. And it was that reality that Paul realized that he belongs to Christ because Christ has made him his own. That he has been brought with a price that there is nothing Paul did. And remember that all the things that Paul can boast about, right? His spiritual and, and you know, just pedigree that he has, who he is, the Hebrew of all Hebrews. But he has nothing to offer Jesus. He, his, he loves Jesus because Jesus first loved him, 1 John 4, 19. Genesis 1.26, let us make man our own image. Um, as image bearers, sin has distorted that image, causing us to have a broken view of God, self, and others. Oftentimes, it causes us to, to think too little of God, think too much of ourselves, and not enough about other people. But that, that image has been distorted, right? Causing us to have a broken view of how we see our Savior. And Christ comes to restore that image within his people. He comes to transform our will to reflect him. So we can know what is good and acceptable and perfect. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, 
not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Our goal should be to be holy, to be set apart. And Paul knows he hasn't arrived, but he is falling and striving more and more like his Savior. So this section is probably kind of following the living Christ. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This section is all about following Christ. Paul has already shared his lifelong desire and goal in verse 10. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share it in his suffering because like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It almost seems that Paul knows folks would be thinking, oh, that's kind of a high and lofty goal there, Paul. It's a little unattainable, not very realistic. That seems like a job for that super Christian, that missionary, that pastor. The Christians um, could never live up to that reality, but Paul isn't going to let that mindset go unchallenged. So Paul gets a little more personal. I haven't arrived, but that's my goal. That's the power of the resurrection. So the question is, do you believe in the power of the resurrection? If we were a black church, I would have you turn to your neighbor and say, you know, do you believe in the power of the resurrection? But I don't want to scare you, you know. So let me ask you this question. Do you know your purpose? There's purpose behind God calling us. Romans 8, 28. For we know that those who, got, who, who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. There is purpose behind God saving us. The next verse gives us the answer to God's purpose, right? It says, verse 28, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be among the, um, that he might be firstborn among many brothers. The goal of our salvation is that we would be conformed to the image of our savior, which is the original goal of creation, is that we reflect our savior's image. One commentator says this, There's three things here in this verse. He says, first, he's called by Christ. Second, there's purpose in his calling. Third, this reality puts an obligation on us as his followers. Paul isn't perfect, but he is striving to allow the purpose of his salvation to become a present reality now. Paul is striving to allow the purpose of his salvation to become a present reality now. Verse 13 says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The goal is progress. He doesn't have time to look back. Paul uses himself as the example. Paul says, hey, I'm not perfect, but this is my goal. I'm striving to live for the reason I was called by God. He isn't going to allow his past, good and bad. This is the persecutor of the church. He isn't going to allow that shame, that guilt to hold him back what God has called him to be. It's the analogy of the runner leaning forward to finish the, the line, the Olympics thing, where you see every muscle in their body seems to be just pushing. Sometimes they throw themselves literally down to win the prize, to pass. You've seen this at the Olympics. Every effort's made, doing one's best, is doing all you can to reach the goal. For some reason, the effects of the fall has caused us to remember stupid things. You see it demonstrated with the Israelites in the desert when Things got tough for them. They started saying things like, oh, you remember how good the food and how good the time was we had back with our, you know, when we were slaves? They seemed to forget all about the cries and the beatings. But most importantly, they forgot what God had in store for them, what was ahead. They weren't resting on the promises of God. Runners all know if you want to win the race, don't look back. Keep your eyes on the finish line. 
The finish line is where we want to be. And that is exactly where Paul is saying, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A lot of people see this as Paul talking about the, his heavenly reward, which is true. But there's also a runner pressing on from one mark to the next in the race course. Let me give you an example. Um, when you go to the Grand Canyon, it's a beautiful sight. But when you come back up, you can look just straight up and it seems like, oh, man, this is way too much. And you kind of realize, I'm just going to go from one section to the next. Let me just make it here. Let me make it here. As you see people, I've said this before, you see people like throwing up. It's really gross. But you see people throwing up because they are just like, this is insane. And all you want to do is, I just need to make it to this point, then make it to this point, then make it to this point. Next thing you know, you've, you've made your way back up to the top. We should run our race striving toward each new task before us. That we should awaken in the morning and say, Lord, here's a new day that you have given me. I know there are new things to be done and new lessons to be learned. Help me to use this day as well as I possibly can to raise my children properly, do what do well at my job, to help my neighbor. And when we go to bed that night, we can pray, Lord, I know I have not done it. I have not done anything today as well as I should have, and I miss many of your blessings, but thank you for being with me. Help me now to place today's experience behind me and rest well so that I may serve you better tomorrow. There's obviously a future reality. We ain't in heaven yet, yet there is also a present reality. We get Jesus now. We get the one who promises never to leave us nor forsake us, so be strong and courageous. We get the one who, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shows up in the fiery furnace. We get the one who promises in our present reality that he is more than a conqueror, that the obstacles of life will not destroy us. We get the one who says, I will supply all your needs. Our reality is that we are his and he is mine. And in him, we, he promises to lead me by still waters. He promises to be our shepherd and our guide. Obviously, we are not perfect yet. We have not arrived yet, but he is working on our behalf not because of things we have to offer. There's an old school song that says, um, if you were like me, you didn't have a lot of gold, position or money, you didn't own wealth and told. So what do you have to give? The answer is nothing. You have nothing to give. We are spiritually bankrupt, Matthew 5, 3, right? Blessed are poor in spirit. The beauty of Christ being everything is that I don't need to bring anything because I have nothing to give. I just come with myself and he says, I'll do the work. Come just as you are, the old school song, hear the spirit call. Come just as you are, come see, receive, come and live forever. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul begins this section by saying every Christian should think this way. This should be our focus. This should be our attitude Sometimes we act like, uh, we don't understand the mind of Christ, but Scripture tells us the opposite. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12. It says, now we have see, received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of whom, but, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things because he himself to be, um, to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
Do you know your purpose? God has not called us to be conformed to his image and then left us helpless to obtain it. In fact, he has given us his explosive power to guarantee our life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 says, His divine power has granted us to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us by precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. That's good news. This next section, verse 17 through uh, 21, really is walking with the living Christ. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cr- walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This section is relatively simple, ain't it? Not that we have our mind right. We are thinking correctly. Our focus is right. We are running, not looking at the other runners, not looking into the crowd, looking down at our feet, but but our focus on what is ahead, the prize. And we call others to imitate us as we keep our eyes, our focus on Jesus. It offers, you know, this time of deconstructionism that we're going through where people are always talking about, you know, this person failed me in in such a way, so now we just kind of abandon our faith. I'm like, you must not know who Jesus is. And I'm I'm not saying that's not a hard thing when people let you down, But the reality is that person should point you to Jesus, not themselves. So it seems a little foolish to me that you go, oh, I'm going to just destroy, my my whole faith is shattered, the entire church is gone because of this one person. The prize before us. This isn't being cocky. This isn't being proud. It's just saying, hey, we're runners, telling others, run with us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, not everyone is following Christ, and some folks like to boast in their rubbish. They're proud of their sin. They don't consider all lost for the sake of knowing Christ. Their appetite is their own belly. It says they are self-seeking. They are their own God. And Paul says their end is destruction. They are enemies of the cross. The Judaizers of that time were adding variables to this equation, right? They were saying, okay, well, let's do, that's what all Galatians about. Jesus and some good works. Jesus and you circumcised will get you to heaven, right? Jesus plus church attendance. Jesus plus good behavior. Jesus is not a probation officer. Jesus plus culture. Jesus plus sociology. Jesus plus you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, if it ain't Jesus plus nothing equals everything, the equation is off. Whatever the falsehood is, whatever brings you that sense of security that you think you're bringing to the equation with Jesus, it won't work. This says Paul calls these people enemies of the cross who are headed for destruction. They love themselves, who brag and are focused on earthly things. But we have this blessed hope. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The hope of Christ's return provides motivation. It provides security. So I'm American. I'm black. I'm a male. All sorts of truths about me. I live in Northern California. But ultimately, my identity 
is at my new address. Heaven is my home. I am a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2 says this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might what? Show the measurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know, this passage tells me my citizenship is in heaven. And just like the Philippians that Paul was writing to, they were citizens um, of Rome. You know, they were Roman citizens. They was a colony of, of Rome. Even though they were living outside of Rome, they still had to hold on to what the Roman Empire was saying, calling them to do. Much like us as believers. We're here, but we have a citizenship that is in heaven. And that dictates our kingdom values. It dictates how we act and how we behave. You see, my friends, though we live in this world, we are citizens in heaven. We are members, members of Christ's kingdom, which is not of this world. John 18, 36. Our names are recorded in heaven. Our citizen. Our Savior is there. Our fellow saints are there. Our inheritance is there. Our reward is there. Our treasure is there. And though we do not yet live in heaven, we live in the heavenly realm, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. We experience some degree the heavenly life here on earth. We have the life of God with us. We are under the rule of heaven's king, and we live for heaven's cause. So one day our struggle will be over, but if you're here right now, the struggle is not over. And you can trust in whatever, I know we just had an election, whatever the political thing is, but we serve a risen Savior who is dictating all things and calling his people to serve in an ugly world and to bring his joy, his hope, his love to it. So 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, Just as you were born in the image of the man of dust, earth, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So we eagerly await our coming king, and we sing like the old saints, soon and very soon, our king is coming. I was thinking I probably should do some type of Thanksgiving message or something like that, but I didn't have anything in my repertoire. I'm not a very thankful person, I guess. And so I was like, we're just going to have to deal with something about the kingdom that we have. And so you guys, God has positioned us, you as a church in this area for a reason and a purpose. Live it out. Your identity dictates, you know, your belonging, your purpose. It dictates everything about you. It's exciting to me when believers know who they are and they live in the midst of this fallen world that way. That's my goal. Um, it's not easy. It's oftentimes it's ugly and it's hard, but you've got to remember, man, who owns me? Do I let the clothes, do I let the shoes? We were talking about the, the new style with the, the new um, Nikes that everyone, all the young um, CEOs are wearing. What is going to define us as believers? And I pray that it's the fact that we are citizens of heaven. So, with that being said, I'm way under time. This is the first time in my life I'm this, <laughs> wow. Um, I must either talk really, really fast or something. I don't know, but I'm way under time. But um, with that, let's pray, and we will sing our next song. Father God, we come before you thankful for your word that gives us instruction, that 
um, encourages us, that challenges us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in light of the fact that we are yours and you're ours and how empowering that is and that we have this resurrection power living within us and that you enable us to live life and life to the fullest. And so, Lord, we pray that your joy, your love, your peace would just resonate in our lives in such a way that it would reflect, it would emanate out of us in a way that the lost world would see that, God. And they would see what is lacking and they would see, man, this wholeness that they can have, not because of our own doing, but because of you and us. So, Lord, thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for stepping in the midst of our craziness and demonstrating your love for us, God, and um, sending your son to die to pay for our sins. Lord, we are truly thankful for what you've done and help us to live in light of that, God. Help us to see every single moment as an opportunity that we get to live for you, that we get to be empowered by you, God. And when we fail, knowing, Lord, that your grace is there and that you are giving us a new day to serve and worship you. So thank you, Lord, um, for this church and their their role in helping out, um, even helping one child and serving kids who who have less than the majority of us have, Lord. Thank you for just um, the way you care for those that are... um, at risk and vulnerable and hurting. And Lord, we pray that you would cause us to draw them to you. So we thank you for what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. In the precious name we pray, amen.